You're Natalie dressed today. Is that the word that I'm supposed to use? Natalie? Sure. Yeah. N-A-T-T-I-L-Y. Thank you. Natalie Sharp. Yeah. It's a, you got a corduroy jacket on. Mm-hmm. I think every single person should have a corduroy jacket and I they're love on that. Samba. A wide whale corduroy. There's just nothing better than. That is a wide whale corduroy. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like all corduroys. I like it. There. Now America knows. Well, I like you. Thank you. I like you too. Guess what? Hmm. It's time to start the Brando cast. Sitting here with a person who I enjoy so much, I don't get to see her as much as I used to see her. She is a writer. She is a performer. She is a highly skilled improviser. She's a sitcom person. She's an occasional actress on the uh, on the big screen. I'm a pretty bad actress. She's got a commercial out there too, don't you? I mean, there are commercials I've been in. That you, weren't you in a commercial for cotton? There, I was. I am, we are talking to Laura Kraft. Laura Kraft. <laughs> Laura, the legendary Chicago-based Laura Kraft. L.A.-based from Chicago. From, right. <laughs> Laura Kraft. Lived in L.A. for 22 years, L.A.-based. You will always be Chicago. You will always be Evanston to yeah, me. Yeah, I'm from Evanston, the best town in the world. I think that's the thing that I like the most about you, I think. <laughs> Well, thank that you. You're from Evanston. Where my parents had <laughs> Not me. your skill as a writer or your 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 comedy. That you're from Evanston. I like that you really do think there's like this Evanston mafia and and people. No, in no, Evanston no. Are there's great. an Evanston mafia. There's in 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 Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. There's an Evanston. Mafia. Well, there's a Northwestern mafia. But yes. There, and but there's people from Evanston. There's a kind of a lot a lot of people who I grew up with out here. Yeah. So yeah. All right. There's a mafia, but it's not like a you're tapped into it. You're when you guys don't kill you, people, but you get shit done. That you know of. Mm. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Wow. The Q's. Do you think the Q's has ever killed somebody? John Cusack is a murderer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so here we are at the Brando cast and here is the game, Laura Craft. It's a really simple game. What I'm going to do to you is I'm going to read you the history of a band that you may not know or like. Okay. Maybe you know them. Maybe you don't. I don't think you really do. I think you've heard of them, but I don't think that you know them. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to just read you the sort of wiki history of this particular band, one of my favorite bands, and we'll see where the conversation goes. Okay. Are you ready? I'm, I'm nervous. Are you ready? We're sitting here with uh, my producer, super producer, Richard Sheltinga, who's just dropped the bomb, who's putting it down, laying down the track. Do you recognize this, Laura Kraft? No. <laughs> <laughs> It's heavy metal, so no. It is heavy metal. This is this particular band's arguably their biggest hit. Nope. Anything? Honestly, they all sound the same to me. <laughs> it's like a guy kind of screaming. I'm imagining he probably wears spandex. Oh, not just a guy. This is metal icon Rob Halford, who's the lead singer of Judas Priest. Oh, I really don't know this band. <laughs> I've seen the t-shirts. I am so, I am thrilled. Okay, so I'm going to lay it down on you. Judas Priest is or are, is a legendary British heavy metal band formed near uh, Birmingham, UK, way back in about 1969. They are frequently ranked as one of the greatest metal bands of all time and have inspired countless young dudes to pick up a guitar and some studs and scream for vengeance. Wait, they were formed in 1969? Well, like the origin of the, like the, the, the first iteration of Judas Priest 
uh, so sort like, of started around 1969. And did they do this kind of music then? No. Th- well, around this time. were they doing time, like Turtles covers? <laughs> 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 and then someone couldn't afford a haircut. And then they're like, let's just whip our hair around. What they were doing is what a lot of other young British bands were doing. were taking the psychedelic music of the day. And making it a little bit heavier. They were early, the early band Judas Priest, who got their name from the Bob Dylan song, The Ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. The early version of Judas Priest. You don't know that song either? I don't, I don't, I don't really know yeah, Bob they're, Dylan. They're, they're Frankie Lee. Didn't he sing Judas like, Priest. Uh, lay on the bed or something? Lay, lady, lay. <laughs> lay on the bed. <laughs> lay on the bed for a little all while. All of his That's music sounds the same to me too. Okay. Well, he had a song I called. I went on the street. It's like, all right, Bob, congratulations. Went to the corner. <laughs> well, that, that took him far. <laughs> that, I know he did well by it, but he I'm did saying, well by it. I, don't, I can't tell the difference in Bob Dylan's Well, he had a song called uh, The Ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, and that's where this particular band got their name. And is Judas Priest a character like in the Bible that I should know of? You know, that is an awesome question. I assume that, but Judas Priest is not in the Bible, although Judas Iscariot is Judas, the legendary Judas. Oh yeah, bad guy Judas. Bad guy Judas. And a priest is, you know, a man who... Serves so up like a religious ceremony for people who for need Judas. it. You know, I don't know. I would have to ask Bob Dylan about that because he's the one who invented the, the term Judas Priest, oh. the name Judas Priest. Okay. But they took the name. And the early version of the band, they were doing what a lot of other British bands were doing at the time, which was sort of like taking traditional rock that was laid down by the Stones and the Beatles and just making it a little heavier. They were taking what Jimi Hendrix was doing and taking what Led Zeppelin was doing and just making, just turning things up a little bit. So that's oh. what Judas Priest is all about. Well, I watched a little bit of The Dirt yesterday. Oh, so God. Can we I just say like I know. the worst movie of all time? I'm so disappointed. Definitely insulting to women. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh if you're a lady, God. hey, quick, quick, quick <laughs> PSA from Laura Craft and Brendan Smith. If you're a lady, don't no, watch ever. Don't honestly, watch Honestly, no. If you're a human being who lives on a planet where over half the world's population are women, it's a horrible. I mean, I was I was watching, I was like, actually, the acting is pretty good. There's a lot of good actors in it. And I think some of the dialogue is kind of snappy, but the it is just I don't it this is why I never got into heavy metal. I associated it with Well, there's also like no story. Like, like from a from a just a technical writing standpoint, there's zero story in the Motley Crue movie. But music wise, like I feel like Motley Crue and I don't know anything about Judas Priest, but Motley Crue, like the people I knew who were into it were like, they're amazing. And then they would launch into these stories about like, they, they had sex with like women upside down in a chandelier. And you're like, I, I mean, is that why I'm supposed to be listening to them? No. I mean, I don't not. know. I guess that's a lot of hip hop. There's a lot of stuff that's, that I do. I do like hip hop and I don't know. Now here we are. I'm being, I'm being a, what's that word? Uh, Snobby? That's snobby. It's like uh, hypocritical. Well, uh, did did heavy metal come into your your existence at all when you were no. in high school? Mm-mm. No, not even a smidge. Not until college. And even then, I was just like, oh my. I, and actually, one time I was at a party, and I was maybe like in my twenties. I was in my twenties. Yes, because I knew Rich Fulcher, and we were at a party, and they were playing songs, and I was like, oh, this is a good song. And he was like, it's Led Zeppelin. And I was like, oh, it's nice. And then they played like another. You never, you never heard that song I did in your not life know. before. I just had not been exposed to mm-hmm. anything like that for whatever reason. My my oldest brother, Stephen, was a, a um, DJ at, at like a college station. Fun. So um, what college? He went to Brown, and okay. then he came back to Chicago, and he had a radio show. And then he went to law school. Then he came back and he had another radio show. And um, and he introduced me to music. I knew like who, you know, the B fifty twos were and the Talking Heads, and mm-hmm. you know. 
Blondie and that like sort of New York music, the Ramones. Um, but for, and then Evanston's very like the, the music of our high school was sort of like hip hop. Well, you know, I, I, because I was, and punk because and I, ska. I ska. went to the university of, uh, or Northwestern university in Evanston, Illinois. I always thought of Evanston as a little ska town. Yeah. There's a lot of people who like ska, like the specials and, yeah. and, um, cause anytime a fraternity would have a local band, they would be a ska band. Oh yeah. And, and we had a lot of hip hop, a lot of ska and a lot of punk. There were a lot of, there's a huge punk, uh, contingent in Evanston. Yeah. Did you ever see a, a local band called 007? Because I think we had them for like fall formal, 1986. Oh, no, I didn't see them. Yeah. No. 007, who else was there? There was Naked a band called Ray Greenwell. Naked, great, Naked Ray Gun. They were huge. Yeah. I'm talking about like a bunch of y- oh. young Evanston dudes in a ska band. What was there? There was an Evanston band that I loved. Uh, Green? Called, oh my God, I would love to think of the name of it. Urge Overkill? <laughs> no, but they're Chicago. Yeah, they're they're Evanston. Are they really? Two of the guys went to Northwestern. Oh, that doesn't make them Evanston. They went to Northwestern. <laughs> Evanston, we're, I'm a townie and we hate Northwestern people. You drive up our property taxes. <laughs> you guys don't pay any taxes I, and you I, take over no, the city. I, I was aware of that because I worked at Bennigan's of Evanston. Yeah. Um, and which was a mix of Northwestern students and townies, like as the employee, as the staff. Yeah. And I, there was, there was, there was tension. Yeah. We did. And my, I remember my mom was um, sort of upset me, with me when I went to Northwestern for grad school. <laughs> Well, that was bad. She was just like, To go oh, up the block I mean, and, like, honestly, and get an education. My, I mean, I'd already gone, I'd gone to Indiana and then I went to DePaul for grad school and then I went to Northwestern and my mom was like, you know, just like, she used to drive jokingly towards students on crossing Sheridan Road. Wait. <laughs> no, she didn't ever hit anybody, but she'd be like, oh, there's another one. <laughs> in, a, in a good way, but you know, like she would almost kill a student anyway. What if she almost killed me? Wouldn't that be interesting? That would we be never very would interesting. Be here. Well, that's sort of how the world works. Yeah, it? yeah. My mom never hit a student, so you live. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but like, but I, yeah. So I don't. I, but I used to go there. You know, Evanston when I was growing up was a dry town, and there was like a little bar in the Norris Center. Right. The mug. Or yeah. Something. The gathering place. The gathering place. Yeah, that's near what the was cone called. zone. Yeah, the cone zone. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't get a job at the cone zone. No, I'm I sure. wanted to tend bar at the ga- that gathering place because I did work in yeah. the student union. You did? I did. I was the game room attendant. I tried to get into the game room, but I didn't have an ID and they wouldn't let me. You know who used to come into the Northwestern game room all the fucking time? Who? who you know from high school? Mary Luby. A super successful writer, DVD Vincentis. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. OJ, Trial of OJ and yeah. Gross Point Blank, tons of stuff. As a young teen, well, as a college age guy, yeah. he would come into the game room and hustle Northwestern students. And I would let him in because I knew he wasn't like, because he didn't have the proper ID. But he was wearing an ascot he, and a trench coat. And you well, were like, he looked like Adam Ant. <laughs> yeah. I just remember thinking back then that he looked like Adam Ant. And I'm like, oh, Adam Ant guy is here again. I'm going to let him hustle Northwestern students tonight. He is. Uh, one time I remember um, I didn't have my glasses on and I was at the farmer's market, uh, the one that's the old farmer's market. Yes. And we were in line. I was with a friend and we were in line for like a taco or whatever. And someone, and someone went, oh, check out that guy. He's wearing an ascot. And I looked back and it was Devi and I was like, okay, in his defense, I've known him and he's been wearing ascots since like seventh grade. <laughs> That's an impossible thing for a dude to pull off. He pulls Ascot it off. in seventh grade, he can. He can, he is like so stylish. He's yes. got. He was an influencer before there was such a thing oh, as an influencer. His whole family, he and his sister were so always so cool. And I've just always, and they're, you know, really nice and really interesting, but just also it's in their bones. They can't help it. And I feel like my family- 
which is a great family, but we are like deeply uncool. It, that is in a way that is like in our bones where we all enjoy like jokes that are now called dad jokes. And like, <laughs> you know, like we're very clean and we follow rules and, you know, like we all pay our taxes on time. Like we're, I mean, DB pays his taxes, but we're just like, not like cool. Well, you don't know where the th- the thing is tonight or the new restaurant that no Never. one's heard of. Yeah. I go there after people are like, oh, this used to be so great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, singer Rob Halford's operatic vocal style and the twin guitar sounds of K.K. Downan and Glenn Tipton have been a major influence on metal and have been adopted by many bands. You were talking about Motley Crue. Judas Priest has influenced tons and tons of bands, mainly because they kind of pioneered the style of metal dress where you put on like a leather thing with studs on your wrist and you got the leather pants and you got the leather thing and you got the whip and you got the leather hat. Wow. They started basically doing that before everybody else. Very cool. Were they just into like, um, what is that? Look, that's a, uh, well, like it's a little S and M, leathery bondagey. It's a little leathery. It's a little bondagey. And we'll get into that later because why? Well, I'll, I'll just say this quickly, but we'll get into it later. Lead singer, Rob Halford, uh, is a gay man and always oh. has been a gay man. Oh, and that was okay. a big secret. Oh, it was. Okay. But there's a, there's a twist to it. That's pretty awesome. All right. Despite an innovative approach to hard rock and constant touring and recording, the band struggled through the seventies with a number of lineup changes as many bands do and a lack of commercial success or attention until 1980 when they adopted a more simplified, but classic metal sound on their album, British steel. This album featured the now priest classics Living After Midnight and Breaking the Law. You know this song. Yeah, you've sung it at karaoke. Breaking the law, breaking the law. (laughs) Yes, that's just they say that over and over. Is there anything else? Well, there there was completely wasted. Out of work and down. So there's a story behind it. Okay. All inside. It's so frustrating as I drift from town to town. You're like using these hand motions like this is poetry. Feel as though nobody cares if I live or die. So I might as well. Ah. To put some action in my life. So he's Let's like do it. painted himself into a corner. Yeah. And All he do is break the law to get out of it. Well, most people who do break the law, they probably painted themselves into a corner. Yeah, that's true. Like if you have to raise $1,000 in a day for rent and there's just no way to generate income. you got to break the law. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been there. I know. I don't know a lot, but I know about breaking the law. <laughs> do, you, do you think you've ever broken the law in a significant way? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in not in a signal. I have. Never, I don't mean like a U-turn in front of the fire department or. Oh, I've done that. Did I ever tell you this? <laughs> this happened to me. So one time, I was working in advertising. I was like 21, and I'm the bottom of seven kids. And my dad had like a midlife crisis around the time that I was like a as you do as a late teenager on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he like he went full force, Freddie. <laughs> in fact, I wear his gold chain. That this is picture this nestled in a, thest, in a little thistle of white hair. Laura's showing me. This a was my beautiful dad's. gold chain. My dad's midlife crisis chain. Okay. He wore it everywhere. He never took it off. Um, and then he bought a sports car, a, a fancy red Porsche. As you do. And he used to drive it uh, with a driving glove that he would laboriously, it would take him like 10 minutes to put this driving glove on when you're like late for whatever. I'm like, dad, I'm taking the SATs. Can you just put the driving glove on? He's like, just a second squirt. And then, <laughs> and then he would um, 
drive and there was one CD in the CD player and it was the James Bond, all the James Bond theme songs. Nice. And he would drive around Evanston, which is a residential area, whipping around corners to the James Bond theme and or Goldfinger over and over again. And I can't believe he didn't, he never killed like a family Gold of toddlers. Goldfinger. Yes. So uh, my older siblings were always like, family B, which is the younger kids. Like they're so spoiled and just like, whatever, we're not driving. My dad just had this thing. Anyway, so um, my parents were out of town and I was living at home and working at, in this corporate advertising world. And there was like a picnic I had to go to in some Western suburb, far away from Chicago. Like, uh, like Des Plaines or Hoffman yeah, Estates. Yeah, Bensonville, right. Hearst mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. And someplace I'd never been before. And I never had a car growing up. Barrington. So, yeah. I, I think it maybe was, it was in a park, in a, in a park somewhere, like a park preserve, reserve. Anyway, so um, my parents were in Europe and, uh, and I needed a car. So I went to my parents' house and I just took the keys and I took the Porsche. You pulled a Ferris Bueller. I pulled a Ferris Bueller. And I remember talking to one of my older siblings (laughs) and they said, how are you going to get out there? And I was like, I I don't know, maybe I'll go borrow a car or something. And I, and I was like, dad and mom won't mind. And they were like, you're really going to take the car. And I was like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's a car. It's fine. And I drove the car out there. And I remember I was like a low, like account coordinator. And I just pulled up like in a red Porsche and it was like one of those, like a picnic table, like some balloons and, you know, like cupcakes from the Albertsons, whatever. Anyway, so then uh, it was pretty miserable. And then uh, I was driving home and I was kind of getting into driving. It is really fun to drive. And I was at a red light on Sheridan Road in Rogers Park, which is right before you hit Evan. It's in Chicago, right before you hit Evanston. And uh, the street was empty. And <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling you this, but there's a red light and a squat and a, like a patrol car, uh, pulls up to the red light across the intersection from me. And I just sort of like, oh, it's a cop. And I didn't really think anything of it. And then I sort of treated the red light like a stop sign. And then I just went through the red light. <laughs> and then as I went through the red light, our, I, my face and the cop's face, we both met and the cop's face was like, why did you do that? And I was like, why did I do that? And then I just was like, I can't get a ticket. My dad will find out. So I just took off. Uh-oh. Yeah. In Rogers Park. <laughs> I was like, oh, I shouldn't get a ticket. I should run away from this cop. That makes sense. That is the logical thing to do. I'm 21. So you hit the gas and went north on, on uh, Sheridan Road. Yes. And I, so I'm driving. Like, oh my God. And then I'm like, what am I doing? Why? Did, well, now it's too late. And then I, and the cop like, like turn did around. Did he turn around? Of course. Of course. And then like, oh my God. we're driving around Rogers Park and I'm, and you have to understand I'm wearing like a Brooks Brothers. Like I'm so preppy and I'm a rule follower and I, I don't know why I did it. It was so impulse weird. And I drove and drove and I went down streets and then I went down an alley and there was like an open garage. And I pulled into the garage and I turned off the car and the cop car went past me. <laughs> and then I just sat in this garage for like, I don't know, like eight hours. It's so long. I was so scared. And I, I was just like panting like a rabbit that's about to get eaten by a coyote. And I was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why did I do that? And then all of a sudden I started playing out like they could have shot me. I could have hurt somebody. That was so, so dumb. And then after a very, very, very long time, like literally like eight hours, I like slowly pulled out and went down these side streets. And, you know, I think I didn't even have the lights on because I was like, maybe if the lights aren't on, nobody will see the car. (laughs) And then I just put it back at my parents' house and I, you know, took a cab back to downtown where I was living. And oh my God. Wow. That is tremendous. No one ever came back to that garage? No, I really... That's that's a huge lucky piece of this story. Every single part of that is... And such like... Oh, so... I mean, that's why... But wow. somebody was asking me if I'm if I'm ever scared of different kinds of people, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm terrified of young people. I really am. <laughs> okay. All young people are terrifying. They don't understand things. They just do stupid things." You live in a particular section of the city that is overwhelmingly young right now. 
uh, Highland Park. Yeah. I think it's just a lot of families and I mean, there's young. Well, the hipster contingent, I mean, of young kids. There's my street. You stay away from that. My neighborhood's not really very hipster. It's like just normal families. But this city in general is, has become super young. Well, I mean, now that that I say that, like my street is family, like just normal, you know, people who've been there for a very long time. And then, but yeah, of course you're right. It's very hipster. You go to York Boulevard and it's like, you know, there's. $9 donuts. Yeah. Really good. <laughs> the $9 donut place oh, is really good. I love that. I just was like, I wouldn't go, I'm not going to spend $12 at Whole Foods, but I will spend $12 on a donut. Really? That makes sense to me. Okay. The one place that's right there on York donut and like plant. donut friend. Donut friend. Donut friend. Yeah. $9 donuts at donut friend are good. Oh my God. All right. So good. They're I not love, $9. They're like two fifty. By the way, I love your breaking the law story. I, I can't believe. You, you have done that. I mean, that's a big deal. I mean, my parents have died. So yeah. there is kind of a freedom of being like, my dad really can't get mad at yeah, me. Yeah, you're not going to get a phone call. He's like, passed away. You, you did what? <laughs> With but my Porsche? I don't think they would have liked it. But isn't that insane? Wow. I know. I've, I've done actually like a bunch of, a couple, not a bunch, but a couple like really like, huh, you know, that was a bad idea. You ever done white collar crime? Like swindled tens of thousands of dollars from a company or something? No, but I will tell you that I had a job. I've had so many jobs that- but I had a job that I quit because I was scared I would commit white collar crime. And it was, um, I was in Chicago. I think I must've been in the, I don't know if I was in grads. I was, I was always so broke. And, um, and I, I'm trying to think where, when this was, but I was maybe in touring company, maybe just doing a lot of improv and in grad school. And I thought I would go into academia. So I was in grad school a lot. And, uh, and I started teaching like an improv class at Wells high school that oh, I must've been in second city touring company at that point. Uh, and then it turned into a writing job and then it turned into an English teaching job at Wells high school, which was a big public high school in Bucktown. And, um, in that neighborhood, like I ended up somehow meeting this guy, John, what was his last name? Mick. He was a director. He directed uh, Henry portrait of a serial killer. Oh, John McDonough. Is that something? I don't know. Anyway, I started working as, as, as his assistant. Oh, cool. Yeah. But I don't know how to be an assistant. Like, I don't know any, I didn't know anything. I had no money. Laura, would had, you mind going to get my dry cleaning? Well, stuff like that I could obviously Laura, do. Laura, would but you he make sure that like, my mom gets Laura, in the apartment you, later on? will you um, exchange these CDs at the bank that are like one day CDs and how should I invest this money? <laughs> like all this stuff, like accounting stuff. That's what he wanted from you. Yeah. And I was oh, just like, uh, fuck that. You know, uh, and I think like maybe I, maybe I wore a suit when I went to meet with him when he hired me or something. Yeah, he thought okay. I knew what I was doing, but. John I, McNaughton? McNaughton. That's Is that right? right? Oh yeah. What did I say? McDonough? You McNaughton. Said, you said something. I thought McNaughton. He's a really nice guy and so interesting. And I remember like I got to. No, I, my mustache oh. is. I was like, do I have something in my mustache? No, no, no. You you don't have a mustache. I'm, okay. Agree to disagree. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? He was friends with um, John Waters. And one time I answered the phone and it was John Waters. And we ended up talking for like two hours. Wow. And he was telling me this idea that he had that there's like a, a bubble over Baltimore where you could have like the most attractive person in the world flying in like Cindy Crawford or whomever. And the second they break through that bubble, they're hideous. Wait, so As that the, was a movie pitch? John no, he, Waters pitched you this movie? No, he didn't pitch me a movie. We were just talking on the phone, but I remember that was part of the conversation. That's a good pitch though. Ugly, ugly bubble? Ugly bubble. B-Town? <laughs> B-Mora? The ugly bubble? <laughs> British Steel helped Judas Priest. It helped uh, put Judas Priest in the superstar status. From here on out, Priest is headlining arenas around the world. The band's best-selling album. There's a best-selling album. 
came out in 1982. And that album is Screaming for Vengeance. And that is the album that has what is the biggest hits for Judas Priest. Um, You've got punch another. Punch my fist. <laughs> yes, punch. This is Punch My Fist. Punch in my fist, punch in my fist. My fist wasn't being punched. I was painted in a corner. <laughs> Go. I don't want to stop you. Punch my fist. <laughs> <laughs> this is You've Got Another Thing Coming. That's the message of this song. Don't fuck with me. This sounds exactly another- like Breaking the Lot of Me. Is it different? <laughs> Like when Robert played the wrong song before, it didn't sound this, any different than when you played the right song. Richard. Richard, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> we're, we're off the rails. <laughs> yes, it does sound it does sound similar, but there was a formula. They had a formula by 1982 that was yeah. successful for them, so they're not going to mess with it. I guess not. That's the bottom line. You don't want to mess with art once you have a formula. No, that, well, that's, the whole, that's the whole thing for bands. You gotta Once you find your shtick, you got to commit to it. That's not right. That's not true. Uh, it totally is true. I mean, it might be true. What are you working in a label? Like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you on the side of art? No. This you is, sound like this a, is a, a horrible manager no, who like, works the, out, of his ma- out of his garage. It, right, yes, but I know what I'm once talking you about. Stick, you gotta have a... What's that song? You gotta have a gimmick. See, I know musicals. I'm happy to talk about Gypsy. Starring it's, Patty Lapone. Great version I saw. Is, is Gypsy a musical? Really? It has a song. <laughs> As everything's coming up roses. You'll be swell. You'll be was great. Patty Ethel Merman. Was Patty Lapone the original gypsy? I think I think it was Ethel Merman was the original. Oh, it's not gypsy, Lord. it's the mother of gypsy, mama. Oh. Because gypsy okay. is Gypsy Rose Lee, who was a burlesque stripper who brought elegance to the burlesque scene. Yes. And her mother was like a star, she was like a star on the vaudeville circuit, and her mother like put actually her sister uh, was the star. And Gypsy Rosalie was like the younger sister. And then she became the star because she figured out her gimmick, which was to show some shoulder. Laura Kraft has been doing some gloves. moves. She's doing some moves right now. If you, you just visual the theater of the mind, there's some moves going on here. Gypsy has bro- amazing music. It's a wonderful musical. Okay. And that is, you know, songs that are about things. I only know Greece and I think I know Jesus Christ Superstar. You think? Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> my, my parents had that play? record and they played that all the time. They had no records. You might ex- know it. <laughs> you might know Jesus Christ Superstar if you can do all the songs. Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah, I don't know it that well. Who in the world do you think you are? That's right. as much as I know. That's, a, that's as much as I know. But I know oh, I know about Rent, it. although I've never seen it. And I know Cats. Oh, you only know the ones I don't care about. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I've never seen any of these. I know that they exist. And Andrew, Andrew uh, Lloyd Webber did Cats, I think, and Jesus Christ Superstar. I might I be wrong, so. but I think I'm- I think he definitely did Jesus Christ Superstar. And Andrew he did the Lloyd Phantom Webber. of the Opera, which um, right. my mother loved. And I was like, this is terrible. He knows like three chords. Do you know the, uh, the other huge British uh, heavy metal band, Iron Maiden? They have a song called Phantom of the Opera. I didn't know that, but I bet it sounds just like <laughs> punching my fist, <laughs> punching my fist, punching my fist, screaming for punching vengeance, the wall, punching my fist, <laughs> screaming for vengeance also featured uh, their most commercially successful lineup. There's a lineup of Judas Priest that metal fans consider the classic. And that lineup is Rob Halford on vocals, Glenn Tipton and KK Downing on guitars, Dave Hill on bass and drummer Dave Holland. Quick Did he lose note, his arm? 
No. <laughs> no. Didn't one of them lose no. an arm? That's that's the drummer from Def Leppard, oh. who were a little younger than Judas Priest, but very much contemporaries, peers. And they kept Def playing. Leppard. Their their guy Rick Allen lost his arm. Well, I turned off dirt after. Um, Yes, uh, there's the a car crash movie. with Vince Neil. That happened. And he killed Dazzle. Razzle. Razzle. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not laughing about the death of Razzle. Dazzle. Razzle from the band Hanoi Rocks. They yeah. were they were they were like a and he wore and on that, their way to fame and fortune, Hanoi Rocks, when that crash happened. And he wore a, a top hat like Slash. And did Slash he did. model his hat after well, Razzle? Uh, Hanoi Rocks, they were very glam. That was their shtick. They were super glam. Lots of um, scarves and lots of makeup. And not as, not as satanic as Motley Crue. But Guns N' Roses is after them. So Slash Just after have, that. But it's all from the same L.A. scene. Everyone is oh. formed in the same bubble. Although... Hanoi Rocks, Hanoi Rocks were European. Mm. Yeah, he was a, British. A moment, and I'm forgetting. He was like, "Oh, do you want to go get some beer?" That guy, oh, brother. That was a tough. Moment Listen, the brother. Do you know what? I think we should go get some booze. <laughs> and it's funny because everybody. It was the worst all accents the Crew in the movie. Guys are played by British guys, and I was like, couldn't somebody tell that guy what a British accent is? I, I, I'm I, the, the guy who played Ozzy. Uh, Ozzy tried Osborne. to speak like who, Ozzy oh, and licked his pee off a. Is that real? Off a poolside, uh, 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 allegedly. The snorting ants and the doing all that stuff allegedly is Ozzy, but okay. that accent was was really bad too. Gee, I'm going to talk to you boys. <laughs> Uncle Ozzy is going to talk to you boys. <laughs> was I was so offended. I was offended as a metal fan. I was yeah. offended by that whole thing. I hated. What was movie. more offensive when Tommy Lee punched a lady in the face? In, on the bus or when Ozzy was, this is like one of those really I'm, important questions. I'm, I'm removing that from the discussion because that was beyond awful. And yeah. I, I, you know, it's a right. different era There's no now. discussion, but licking pee up is sort of But they probably did that all the time. And they also raped. It's actually in the book. There's definitely some rape in the book, The Dirt. Like the chicks weren't into it, but we were like, come on, let's party. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yes. And switching off and taking places and all that kind of shit. Not good. Not good. Do not do not watch it with your kids, if you have kids. Priests continued their success in the 1980s with 1983's Defenders of the Faith and 1986's Turbo. Did you have either? Obviously, you didn't have either of those records. You did I not, did not. In nope. 1983, you did not have Defenders of the Faith. No. What was I listening to? I was listening to, like, Sugar Hill Gang. Oh, okay. You were ahead of me because I never listened to rap. You were, oh, you were into rap. Were, and that was like an old record at that point. Right. Was Shannon. Let music play. Yes. Um, heat Wave. Wait, the, the, band, the band Heat Wave or, band heat or the wave. song Heat Wave? The band Heat Wave. Okay, there's a band Heat Wave and they do a it's book a, like... They do like R&B. Okay. They're amazing. And then who else were you listening to in 1983? Gap Band. Gap Band. I was also playing... Piano, classical piano, oh. quite seriously back then. So oh. I was really into just classical music. So you never she sat said in your room and cool. We weren't allowed. To, my parents, like you know, I've told you about my. My parents were like the Von Traps. Okay. So there's seven kids in my family. Right. We all started playing piano at five, basically four or five. You were forced to teacher. play piano. Not like forced, a, but we took. 
you know, I mean, forced, but it wasn't like, it was just sort of expected. As a five-year-old, you're finding that your parents are always driving you to a piano lesson. Well, you were, as I I was younger. You didn't go, mom, dad, I'd like to play piano now. No, but it wasn't like that. Like we were raised in like the 1800s. So it wasn't like, (laughs) darling, what are your strengths and weaknesses? It was like, no, everyone's taking piano. The girls are taking ballet. The boys are going to be boy scouts. At 10, you start a second instrument. You know, ideally it won't be the same as somebody above you, but I ended up playing Is the that flute. a thing if, that a child should start a second instrument at 10? No, my family just, that's what we did. Oh. So we all played piano. We it was very military, your family. It was not, it was uh, sort of like the, it was very much the Von Trapps. Proper. Like we, there was a whistle for each of us. There's a family whistle. What's a, wait. Tell, so wait, so what? like our family whistle, there's a family whistle. And like, if you heard it, <laughs> yeah, my dad had a whistle. Do you want me to, I don't know if I want to reveal it. because I do. Kind of, okay. So if you're out and. If I hear that, I know there's a craft nearby and I need to go find them. What? And it's a great idea. Oh my God. And so, so wait, if you're, if you're running store, around, if you're playing in, in your little Evanston neighborhood and you're playing hide and seek heard, with all the neighborhood kids. We heard that whistle. We came running in. Oh my God. Because we, we, we were needed. That is incredible. No, my family was like, no joke. Like we were raised, like we were supposed to think of three things we'd learn that day when we came to the dinner table. Um, like Laura, well, give me three things you learned today. Yeah, squirt. What three things did you learn today? Squirt. It's the best nickname. I learned oh my this. God. I learned that, and I still to this day at night I'm like, what did I learn today? And I think it's really. I mean, everything that, that every the way lake, that I was the raised, lake freezes when it gets really cold. Well, or just like I, I, yeah. I mean, it can be. I'm grown up now, so it can have different colors. Like I feel, I, I find it interesting that I don't like this or that, or I, yeah, I learned this about mountains or whatever. Wow. Um, but. Yeah, very strict household. And um, and so anyway, regarding music, my oldest brother had a turntable in his room and my mom didn't like listening to what she called bong bong music, which was anything <laughs> after 1952. <laughs> and she would say like, turn off that bong. And my mom was sort of like frenzied. She, our house was so clean and, you know, she was Norwegian and really clean. And, uh, I don't know. Like everything seems normal when you're a kid, but you get older and you're like, oh, that was a kind of a crazy household. And we all had chores after school. You just kind of like, we'd come home and like I swept underneath the front porch. And what my mother didn't know is I would stop at the Holiday Inn that they started building like when I was yes, in Yes, in the Evanston Holiday Inn. I would go Inn. through the ashtray yep. and uh-huh. I would get cigarette butts. Okay. And then when I was supposed to be sweeping under the front porch, I would practice smoking. <laughs> oh and I would actually talk to our neighbor who was a viola player with the Chicago Symphony. And we had a very like tight friendship. Like, and he would tell me about his marriage and I would smoke. But <laughs> I was 10, literally was 10. butts that you were taking. And then I would step the down the gutter oh underneath the front porch. And then I remember there was a rain and everything like flooded, backed up. And my dad was like, where are these cigarettes coming from? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> but I would, anyway, so, uh, so in regarding music, we, we didn't really like listen to album. It wasn't like music wasn't playing in our house. And like, my mom was always home. Your older brother was not and blasting always somebody Pink practicing. Floyd in the house. There's always someone practicing. We had two pianos and mm. you know, two. you fight over who, yeah, it's, you know, Good a Lord. bunch of kids playing piano. One in the basement that came with our house. That's this beautiful old piano with ivory keys, which is very bad, but it is kind of fun. to play. Yeah. And then uh, a grand piano in the living room and you just practiced. And then, we, you know, we thought it was crazy. We played Bartok, Bella Bartok. My piano teacher, really, who's a cubist uh, composer, Hungarian, uh, okay, and um, and he did this amazing collection called Microcosmos, and we all played that, and it's sort of like discordant. Oh, wow. And my mother would be like, "This is not Judas Priest." No, <laughs> my mom would be like, "That's got to be a wrong note." And so then, and then she'd come and, and my mom played piano, and she'd come and play it, and she'd be like, oh, "That's the right note. That's Bartok." 
And then later, if you were playing like Mozart or something and you were hitting the wrong note, mom, my mom would say like, that's got to be the wrong note. It's got to be a B flat. And I was like, it's Bartok. And she's like, that is not Bartok. That is Mozart. Anyway, so that was the house I was raised in. It makes it sound like we're very like, uh, it wasn't like we watched TV and stuff too. But even then, like, we, I guess we didn't really watch a lot of TV. There was like big cultural things that everybody knew about that I did not know about. In the 80s. Yeah, just like, I don't know. I just didn't. Did you see Fast Times at Ridgemont High when it came out? No. Purple, I, I purple Rain, Prince, Purple Rain when it came out? Uh, I think I saw Purple Rain, mm-hmm. but I don't think I saw Fast Times. Yeah. I wasn't, I don't know. I just, yeah. I wasn't like one of those kids who went home and sat and like, I don't know. I was weird. How did you I went get to the into library. Comedy? How did you find yourself into comedy? Um, I got into comedy because I went to college and I uh, was sort of wildly unhappy. And I went to the Bloomington Town Library to rent blues records to listen to in my room. I liked blues music. Yep. And there was Very a little Chicago. sign saying um, audition for an improv group. And I had been in this group, this thing in high school called Yamo, which is sort of like the Wamu show, a version of it in our high school. Right. The Northwestern Wamu show. Northwestern has a variety right. show called the Wamu show. Yeah. Evanston has a variety show called Yamo that mm-hmm. was really great. And it was like student directed and written. And there were like these different companies, like the acting company, the chorus company, the dance company. And it was like this performance. It was really And for people great. who don't know, Evanston, Illinois- at this time had a, was a hotbed of theatrical talent with young kids, the Cusacks, the Pivens. Yeah. But nobody knew it was a hotbed. It was just like the right, Pivens was a theater school. Yeah. It was not, un, it was something you knew existed. Like, right. you know, it's not like a town where people didn't. And we're also, I was raised like five blocks away from Chicago and Chicago is a really vibrant theater scene. Yep. Um, so uh, I. You auditioned. I, I auditioned. Wow. And I had been in Yamo. I'd right. been in the acting company. So I auditioned and I got in, as did everybody who auditioned. It was like six of us. One was like a trucker. One was a librarian. And Oh, these were local people. Yeah, these the weren't even like- town library. Oh, this wasn't the Indiana cool improv show. No, there wasn't. Improv, show. improv didn't exist then. And I only knew about improv games from uh, being in Yamo. Wow. And so I auditioned and I got in and we just did improv games. And oh it was my all God. townies. Yeah. And then Brian Stack, this guy who then went on to uh, write for the, Conan and the stuff. The legendary Brian Stack. Yeah. So then I- and My then, Twitter buddy, Brian Stack. Yeah. So I had gone to college and I had short hair and I told people my name was Spike and I dressed kind of punk, even though I'm obviously not punk at all, but that was just the style why, I liked. Why, why did you pick Spike? Because I you'd was been reinventing squirt. myself. Right. Because you'd been squirt. I was only squirt with my dad. Okay. But uh, in college, I was like, welcome. I really thought I would never see people again. It was like this new, huge school. I went to Indiana. It's enormous. Yeah. I was one of like 7,000 incoming freshmen. I thought I would like, I went, I was just like, I will never see these people again. I did like beer slides and frat parties and just like, uh, I can't even, nothing, nothing horrible, but just like a lot of embarrassing, like I'll be in that dance contest, like that yeah. kind of stuff. Anyway. And then, and I tried to get into sorority, didn't get in cause it was like Indiana hair was King and I had a crew cut. You were Spike. I was Spike. And, um, and I wore clogs and like, I just looked like I'd been dropped from the moon. <laughs> to Indiana. And uh, so I went and auditioned, did this improv thing. And then my hair grew in and I ended up getting in a, into a sorority, which I was later kicked out of. But, um, and so that was it. So for I graduated. Co- for doing too, too much cocaine? I've never done, t- no, but I always, I've never, I don't do drugs, but I always like people who do drugs. Right. And people got stoned in my room. Yeah. Which I welcome because I'm a hostess. And, and that, I, is like, that why oh, you got kicked out? I have cookies. You know, my mom would always send me cookies and I got kicked out for, yeah. Oh, so dumb. Yeah. So, um, but I don't know. The whole thing was How crazy. was the improv show? Improv show. We never did a show. We just did improv games. Oh, okay. And so you got together. So we got together and we just did improv games. We thought we would maybe do a show, but also no one did improv shows back then. It wasn't, it didn't exist as a thing really. Right. Um, Outside but, of Second City. 
in Second Chicago City, and which Toronto. used improv, but like right. improv as a doing theater games as a show was like not a thing. Wow. And then after college, I worked at, I got a job six days after I graduated at an ad agency. And um, I was in the elevator and Brian Stack worked at a different ad agency in the same big office building in Chicago. And we ran into each other and he's like, hey, Spike, um, your hair grew out. Looks a lot better. He's the like nicest this, man on the planet. The nicest man with like this crazy vocal pattern where he like has a high pitched voice, which is sort of the social and then the low pitched voice, which is the truth. Oh. So he would be like, he literally said in the elevator, like, hey, Spike, hey, great to see you. Your hair grew out. Looks a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, he told me to come see an improv show that he was in. And I went and saw it. And it was long form improv. And it was at Papa Milano's in the basement. And I was- Was that Jazz Freddy? No, no. It was before Jazz Freddy. I think it was maybe Blue Velveeta. Wow. And I was like, my mind- In Chicago. Like, yeah. And I was just like, I have to do that. And then he told me, and, and I was living, uh, I moved out of my parents' house and I was living with these two, like, I don't know, two girls who were sort of not my scene, like into sport, like, you know, roommates. the kind of people who like- Chicago roommates. Chicago roommates who go to the sports bar on the corner to watch the Bears game. Just yeah. like, not my world. Right. And uh, anyway, and I Your went to- Your world is bar talk and, and being Spike. <laughs> well, and back then and it was also comedy. like doing a lot of drawings of flowers and um, reading a lot of poetry and- going on to grad school because I was like, I should get some structure. And like, I want to know about better poets. Really queer. Um, but so anyway, so I went to this improv class and I, Brian said, oh, to go to Players Workshop and then get good. Don't go to IO or Second City yet. Go to Players Workshop, learn how to do improv, then go to Second City, then go to IO. Wow. And so I did that. And I went through all those classes and I, at my first Players Workshop class, I met Rich Fulcher and John Glazer. The legendary Glazer. Rich Fulcher. John Glazer and Rich Fulcher were two of my like earliest improv friends. Wow. And then I was like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm just funny. And that's when I started. And so I started really throwing myself into it. And my parents didn't really understand it. And they, I remember they came and saw me do a show like in this weird cafe in Rogers Park. And I was like, we're going to do this the show. The Harlem Cafe? No, that would have been a big venue. It right. was like something really small where somebody was like breaking up with somebody during our show. <laughs> um, it was like in the, on a Sunday afternoon. I remember like the sun was streaming in and. There's just, if you've been performing as long as I have, there's so many crazy venues where you've performed. Like I remember I yeah. did stand up once at a Starbucks on like Fairfax and Olympic. Yeah. And they're like, it's going to be like a, a club atmosphere. And you walked in, it's just a Starbucks and like <laughs> someone gives you a microphone and you're just doing stand up like a foot away from somebody who's trying to write like a script or something. And then, Dan. <laughs> and then you just hear this every once in a while. Honey, no, you already had a Karen. <laughs> So anyway, so that's how I started doing improv. I loved it. I, you know, the crazy thing, let me just say this. The crazy thing about you participating in this, the amount of people who are, now have incredible careers in comedy, mm -hmm. whether they're directors or writers or actors, that came from Chicago during this era so is staggering. Yeah. It's basically everybody, everybody of note. I went to the Emmys one year and um, it was like being at a high school reunion. It was like I knew yeah. everyone at the Emmys. Because it's not just Tina and Rachel, and it's it's it is and, Amy, and Adam McKay, and it's, it's every, unbelievable. Everybody works, and you know uh, it's kind of interesting too because back then there was no monetization of improv. improv. It right. was just like there, you didn't even get into Second City. Like the theaters were so separate, and um, IO was kind of like enemies with the annoyance and with Second City, and right. You know, I remember like I was at IO. We went to an annoyance improv party, Olympic, improv Olympic, and we went to an annoyance party and. The annoyance people were like, there. get out. No, we were walking over there and, and I was walking with Raj Horatio and, um, and I was like, so can we 
are they going to beat us up? And he was like, I don't know. And like, I remember Mike Coleman <laughs> ended up beating up a car that night. He got, who's now on drunk history. He's hilarious. I mean, everyone at the annoyance was great, but there was just like, there's nothing. It was just there for there. It's insane. I remember the, the, fighting the about it with my parents Yeah, it's and, insane. My, and my boyfriend at the time who just thought it was so like, you're going to go do a show in, in, you know, above a bar. Cause we performed above the Wrigley side. And yeah. I was like, I am. And then we're, I, I'm I think do this Brian Snack's uh, father-in-law, I think Miriam's father built that stage. Oh, really? Yeah. He told cool. me that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, and then, uh, and then Adam McKay got hired at Second City. Adam McKay was like the groundbreaker. He got hired at Second City and it was like, he sort of like, there was like a crevice in the dam and then he sort of opened it and then Horatio got hired by there and Rachel Dratch and, and then like, oh, Tina it's was amazing. hired. I was hired before Tina. I was hired with Amy Poehler and Matt Walsh and Ian Roberts and um, yeah, there's just like a, and then Tina and then, yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. I was yeah. out here. Doing karaoke. No, but you wouldn't have known who who would know that that and then and then Adam got hired at, at Saturday Night Live and nobody ever thought. Well, see, you that know what happened. The, well, the weird and thing then he about he opened the crevice there for people. The the weird thing about my life is like I know all these people now, but I came out to L.A. right away after Northwestern instead of staying in Chicago, and I feel like I would have been friends with all those people. Yeah, because I would have done that. All of us. I know, but it's just weird. There was like a ten year period where I, you know. But how would you have known? You, <sighs> just you couldn't know Running that. in circles in Los Angeles in the 90s. And Good then you lived Lord. a block away from me. And everyone, you know what? Know. And then when I moved out here, everybody said, you got to meet Brendan Smith. And I, you got to go to Trader Joe's and you got to meet Brendan Smith. And I was like, don't tell, me where to, don't tell me where to go grocery shopping. And I'm not going <laughs> to meet Brendan Smith. Don't tell me about Smith. Brendan Smith. Interestingly enough, singer Rob Halford did take a break from the band in 1991. They had a great run in the 80s, but Rob took a time out. Here's a fun story about Judas Priest. Rob Halford was replaced in the early 90s by a singer named Ripper Owens, who was actually the lead singer of a Judas Priest cover band. This story, of course, was the inspiration for the 2001 movie Rockstar. With Jennifer Aniston. And? I don't know. Mark Wahlberg. Oh, Mark Wahlberg. Wow. And Mark uh, Wahlberg played the Ripper Owens character. Also in that movie, there was a hint that the previous singer of the band was gay. And that's sort of like around the time that people really got hip to the idea that Rob was gay. I, uh, uh, Rob, um, I'm going to pause. We can edit this out. I'm racing. I have not done cocaine. I swear to God. No. Can, but I'm racing. But I'm going to say. Edit, you're going to edit this thing anyway, right? Like I feel he's like I edit. make no sense. Have you're, I made any you, sense? You're kicking butts. I really I, now I want to just do this show with you every time. I, I mean, make you're, no sense. You're like amazing. Thing where I was trying no, to you're think amazing. Of John McNaughton. I, th- I, th- I think I said John McNaughton. Okay. Rob Halford returned to Judas Priest in 2003, and they've been touring and recording ever since. I was actually at one of the first shows that they at uh, Ozfest in San Bernardino when Judas Priest <laughs> was there. Awful. Was it, it was so awful. hot? Well, no, no. <laughs> Here's the thing. Ozfest in San Bernardino. Okay. That's like a punishment. No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> and you have to wear black, so you no. get really hot. We we went to the show, to to this Ozfest show, be, mostly because Judas Priest was reuniting with Rob Halford, and it was going to be amazing. And the top of the bill was basically Slayer, Judas Priest, then Ozzy. So we, we I skip all the day-long Bands, you know, like Kill Your Mom and Michigan. And oh, sure. Mis- Kill Your Mom. Christi- Screw that one. Mis- you know, all, all the f- fucking crazy corrosion of conformity and all, all the nonsense in the morning. There's no way I'm going to participate in that in San Bernardino. But when we got there, Slayer was on. And the thing about the San Bernardino Amphitheater is like there's a nice theater area. 
But then the lawn, like Poplar Creek in Chicago or Alpine Valley, the lawn is just this big, giant grass wasteland. And the second we walked in, there were fires everywhere. Fires? Fires, like people bonfires. People put their cigarettes out and- No, no, no. They were just burning things. The kids- Intentionally? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, because Slayer was on. So it's and it really was like hot. Six o'clock You're dressed in, the, in black. Oh, yeah, but we're going to burn shit. Oh, my they God. They built these giant, I have no idea, like, what they were burning. And there were kids that were, like, you know, lighting the rails on fire and, like, huffing that smoke. And, like, it was what, just What does the chaos. rails mean? No, like, like the, the, the rail, metal rails the, the, the metal stage. railing around, like they're just, they're just. And did you stay there? I would have been like, <laughs> no, I gotta go. No, we had nice seats. We had like connections. So we had nice seats, but you had to walk through by this area to, to get down. by the poor people yeah, to get to your nice you seats to, at the heavy metal place? You had to walk by the poor people <laughs> who were building oh. bonfires out of nothing. <laughs> like literally Volkswagen sized bonfires out of nothing. And then the next thing you know, like Planet of the Apes, the cops came in on horseback. Oh my God. Just swinging their batons, like literally galloping through the middle like of the grass. We were like sitting in a nice area. seat having a fine No, we were walking in and we were like, wait, what the fuck is going on? And then I realized like, well, Slayer's on and they've just whipped these kids who've been outside in the desert sun all day into a fucking frenzy. Yep. And if that, like the energy that was there, that could overthrow any small government. Oh, oh it was unbelievable. Awful. Actually, when, when, we, when we were home. walking in, we, we are walking in. It's like six. So we're not there all day. We're walking into the plaza and there was one guy who was basically naked, purple from just being so fucked up. And eight different security guards were dragging him outside. And as they're dragging him, he's fighting them. And he's like, they, they get him outside the gate. They throw him forward. He literally turned around and attacked all eight of them again. It was unfucking believable it what was, was, what do you think he must have been on? Something really well, like the I, thing that he, makes you. I, I eat think he had huffed the fumes from oh, the metal God. railing that he tried to light on fire. I mean, people were like lighting pennies on fire and eating them. You know what I mean? It was like that. No, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> My mom and I used to like to find libraries in small towns and go explore them. <laughs> I don't know what you mean at all. <laughs> well, the amazing thing about this day was. This is the first time that Rob Halford is back fronting Judas Priest in like 10 years. And he's now out as a gay man. And I said to my friends, like, I wonder how this is going to go with a crowd that's like lighting like kids on fire to build a bonfire. Yeah. How are they going to respond to Rob Halford being gay? Like, no big deal. We just want to. No, they fucking love him. And he's, a, he's, he's like, a, he, Rob Halford is a god to metal fans. And it was, it was so wonderful because so they, they is- came back and just kicked butt. Do you think this has been great for like the gay movement? Not that there's really, you know, whatever. I think that, well, the one thing that I've learned is like so many people are way cooler with all this stuff than you would think. Because I would think that metal fans would be like, oh, I can't have that guy as the lead singer. But the reverse was true. They fucking love him. They don't care what he does. And that's like, that's such a great lesson. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he's a leader. I mean, he, the, that legion of people would go anywhere Rob Halford asked them to go. And you know where he's asked them to go? Where? Straight to the um, corners of hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, along for the ride for the last, like, oh. you know. Oh, he's still playing? Oh, yeah. They, punching yeah. that fist, punching that fist. <laughs> they, 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 just, they just. Into the wall, into the wall. I was in the corner, punching my fist in the wall. Uh, to date, Let's Judas Priest band. has sold over 50 million records worldwide. That's pretty good. They, 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 when they tour, they sell out, they just tour constantly. They've had some lineup changes. Uh, KK Downing left the band. Where do they go? Is KK a woman or a man? KK is a man. 
Why would you have a woman in a band? Guys? Well, you can have a, a woman in a metal band. Uh, Glenn Tipton, the current gets one of the one of the oldest members of the band, uh, is struggling with Parkinson's, so he oh. sort of jumps in and out of the band right now. And um, you know, they'll be back on the road this summer. Very cool. I yeah, guess if Judas that Priest. is your thing, that is great. I like old bands. I like bands that are still playing that have been playing for like forty years, and they're just like because rock is this kind of music is so new. You don't like you don't know how you're supposed to age in it. There's this idea like in the fifties where you would just like stop playing, right? Yeah. And, but no, you just keep playing. You just go to these festivals and hot places and, Europe. oh God, can you imagine playing in San Bernardino now? Like on a, I guess they must. No, must I will, be. I will, I will, I will admit this to you this summer. Uh, and I think Richard Sheltinga was a part of this super producer, Richard Sheltinga sitting to my left. Uh, this summer, Judas Priest played at Irvine, mm-hmm. uh, with the band Deep Purple. And I had passes to go to the show. Yeah. And when it was time to drive from my apartment in Studio City, basically, to Irvine, the drive time was two hours and 20 minutes via ways. And you said, screw it. Yep. You said, screw it. I said, screw it to Judas Priest. And I'm publicly admitting this because I just can't wrap my brain around driving two hours and 20 minutes on the freeways of Los Angeles from Studio City to Irvine. Wow. Yeah. You are not rock and roll anymore. I know. That would have been like child's but play. But think about that. Oh, you, yeah, but years ago, the traffic wasn't that bad. Years no, ago, you could yeah. do it. Like now, it's, Everybody's like, it's got such ten, a no-go. Everyone has their own car. Like my next door neighbors, there's like 10 cars in one house. There's, 10 cars in one house? Where do they put the cars? They're all parked on the street. There's so many cars because everyone's like, well, I got to get a car. And then our neighbors are across the street from them. The guy has like a van, a car, a motorcycle, fancy cars. You know, it's Are like, they putting cars in the front lawn? Some uh, of those people? No, but the driveway, the drive, it's sort of a thin line. Like what is driveway? What is house? <laughs> 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 it's like very like, uh, I'm going to play this one as driveway, but we're sitting on a couch. It's phenomenal. Yeah. Can we just talk about my voice really quickly? Yeah. Do you like it on I the microphone? I love it so much. Yeah, it's good. You have a great voice. Thank you. I um, had vocal cord surgery <gasps> at the end of December oh. and I wasn't able to speak for almost a month. Oh, Wow. I mean, oh my. Three solid weeks. You're doing amazing. I know I'm doing great. And, wow. And just before when I was doing like, punch, you know, punching my fist. Punch, Did it ah! feel good? Like, I couldn't. Yeah. I, I had a huge cyst in one cord and nodules in the other. And I had this surgery and then I had total vocal rest for three weeks, which was horrible. And then another week of just five minutes an hour. And then like, you know, slowly building my voice up and it's been really painful. But now I feel like I'm finally like coming on the other, uh, to the, uh, to the other side, like I'm in vocal therapy and I'm learning how to speak again, you know, where I try not to strain my cords, but it's just so nice. Like I couldn't, my voice stopped at like, like, you know, it just would stop. You couldn't go wow. high and you wow. couldn't. And now I'm learning how to speak from my facial mask, which is behind your sinuses and wow. more healthy. I, I, I don't believe I've ever spoken from my facial mask. Yeah. You have a low voice. Well, you know that Elizabeth Holmes, uh, Theranos thing where she yeah. drops her voice. Yeah. That a lot of people, a lot of women they've discovered have been dropping their voice to be taken more seriously. Oh. I don't know if I did that. I don't, oh. I, don't, I don't know if I've ever, but maybe I did subconsciously and I'm supposed to have a high voice. Like that's my natural voice. It's not low anyway. So, but you want to hear something funny. high voice, funny, low voice, serious. <laughs> I guess so. Like Brian Stack. Like Brian Stack. He started it. But you want to hear uh, my sentence that's supposed to get me into my correct vocal usage? Yes. My maps are in the other room. (laughs) 
That's from my therapist, <laughs> my vocal therapist. My maps are in the other my room. My maps are in the other room because my everyone maps says are that in the other a room. couple times a day. My maps are in the other room. 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 You hear your voice coming up high, right? My maps are in the other room. No, you. My maps are in the other room. And he said it like it was just a very common sentence. Just say this sentence. Ready? My maps are in the other room. And I started laughing and he was like, why? Why are you laughing? I was like, that's not like a sentence anyone's ever said. Like, who says that? A king no one uses planning a anymore. war in medieval times? Like, what's We're happening? going from Spain to Portugal. <laughs> Listen to me, Captain of Aragon, if that is your real name. <laughs> My maps are in the other room. <laughs> well, Laura Craft... I think you've knocked it out of the park. Thank you. You're going to edit this down. I, I, no, right? we'll edit some of it. But oh, I mean, there's so much gold sitting here with you talking. I could do this forever. You're the, you are an amazing, an amazing podcaster. Oh, thank if I can you. use that word. So are you. A and, broadcaster. And so are you, Richard. Ha, what are the three things we've learned today? Okay. That's not my family's whistle. <laughs> I learned that you don't, you did not retain my family's whistle. And I think that's a good thing. It's a private craft okay. whistle. One. Um, what else did I learn? I learned a lot about... Judas Priest. Yes. And I'm, I don't know if I'm going to explore it and learn more. I feel That's like okay. I've gotten it. And, uh, and I'm sort of interested in the idea that um, I'm always interested when there's a subject I don't want to learn more about, because I usually want to learn about everything. Yeah, and I go okay. in these that's endless, okay. like, oh, I'm really into clouds. Or if you guys know about like knots that sailors use or whatever, I'll go in these deep cuts. But I feel like um, Judas Priest might not be one of them. That's okay. Is that okay? Well, can that we still is be friends? So we, 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 there's nothing you could do that would break our friendship. <laughs> is that the basis of our friendship that you know I don't know anything about Judas well, Priest? Well, I sort of picked it because I assumed that you did not know anything <laughs> about Judas Priest. And I, I didn't. didn't know you knew so much about Bartok. Oh, but I love Bartok. I mean, you know, that's okay. Yeah. There, We're he's still a really friends. great um, opera I was just listening to Bluebeard's Castle, or just maybe just Bluebeard. Sure. Really interesting. Um, is there anything you'd like to promote or say or, or Twitter? Oh, man. I don't, know, um, I, don't uh, I don't really have show a show coming up. I don't really do a lot of Twitter. Like if you want to see like if I hilarious tweets, like, Hey, I had a lot of grapes today. <laughs> Go to Twitter. Okay. Uh, my Instagram is private and uh, my Facebook is private. Okay. And, yeah. Great. I'm not a public figure. I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you're alive. Okay. Peace Rock out. Till next time. This is Brandon Smith from the Brando cast.